Welcome back to the Black Letter Podcast. We set out to create an entertaining and exciting podcast about law and business, and I think we've done it. Black Letter, the name, comes from the Gothic typeset that was originally used in the Gutenberg Press. Over time, Black Letter became the only font that English law books were printed in. Everything else was printed in regular type. It made it harder for kind of the common person to understand what the English law books said. Black Letter came to represent something that was law, that was set in stone, that was sort of old and a well-settled fundamental principle of law. We're here to demystify Black Letter law. We're here to demystify things that happen in business and law and where those two meet. And I hope you have fun listening. The most important thing for a sports team that wants to bring an athlete to the United States to think about, I mean whether it's culturally or from a legal perspective, or how, how do we do that? How do we do that successfully? Well, legally, it's, it's gonna be a little more formal, but just getting the paperwork together. It always comes down to the paperwork and making the case that this person has a reputation. Right. Um, and that they're going to do something in the United States. It's not enough to just come to the United States uh, to be here in, the, in a presence. You have to come and do something, whether it's coaching, whether it's playing, whether it's um, uh, educating, teaching, whatever it is, you have to have a plan going forward. They're not going to just take you because you're you. You have to have you have to contribute something to you. I, I look at it more on the on the side of um, sports being a great unifier, you know, in the world, right? Uh, and you look at some of the events and some of the athletes, and you have other countries rooting for that player who's playing in America. And there's a, there's a communication, there's a talk between each other. And then when they go back, they realize, uh, you know, the people that you thought weren't, were a certain stereotype, isn't that stereotype. And, and you see that there's a, a whole nother side of it. So I look at it from that perspective that um, sports can be a great unifier of all nations. And, you know, you just look at the Olympics. It essentially right? means that you are under the jurisdiction of the court. It means that when you pass away, your executor, who's the person who manages your affairs when you pass away, they have to go to the court, they have to qualify as executor, they pay some court fees, mm -hmm. they pay a probate tax, mm -hmm. and then they are under the uh, jurisdiction of someone called the Commissioner of Accounts okay. until that estate is wrapped up. So that is a... Uh, I've seen... I mean, I've seen probates that are 17 years old, but that's, that's a nightmare. Usually it's, you know, one to three years, just on average. So instead of getting your heirs getting the assets right away, it takes one to three years, you're yeah. paying some taxes. Mm -hmm. So and you're paying fees as well. You're and paying fees the to the commissioner a couple hundred dollars or a couple thousand if they have a lot of assets. Just to and look at your stuff. The advice that I give business owners is business owners work in their business they don't realize how valuable their business is and they mm -hmm. often have no plan to right. pay estate tax on their business. Mm -hmm. Businesses are not always, again, something you can easily sell. And if that's where all the money is, right. they must have a plan to address the estate tax. Yep. And especially when a business is hugely successful and it continues to grow in value. So right now, for example, I have a client, he came in, his business is very successful. I suggested to him that we start gifting some of the shares of the business out of his estate to his children so we can freeze some of the value mm -hmm. um, outside of his taxable estate. So even if it continues, and it's going to continue to grow, it'll grow outside of his taxable estate. Of developing this, we, we went through a deep 
deep dive. I think uh, two four-inch binder notebooks of content, single-spaced details in order to make certain that our pleadings weren't general in nature and that we weren't spending their money to go after a driver or to go after something that would be dismissed later on. But rather, we were doing our due diligence to the advance as Rule 11 would require in Rule 10. Somebody watching this podcast, if they're a CEO of a a cybersecurity company or the CEO of a company that hires a cybersecurity company, like a defense contractor or something like that, any big takeaways from a global perspective, from a NATO perspective uh, that that you could share? Uh, More from the commercial side. I've dealt in the worldwide distribution business for probably 20 years. Even as the J3 at Transcom, the majority of the lift that we got was from the commercial sector. And we in the military increasingly looked at the information management in the commercial realm on backbones that were very established and to try and expand that to the to the moving forward in those structures what that we had. What steps could a company take to get ahead of that? I mean, you're a commercial company, you have to worry about your data, you can't We've obviously got ITAR and we've got export issues with data, but your data's all over the place when it's on the internet, right? Yeah. How, how does a company get ahead of something like that? From a practical standpoint, from a legal standpoint, how do those two things interplay? So, so practically and legally, Tom, right at the outset, we, all companies have to understand that they are part of a vast information network that's undergoing really a global revolution right now. And that global revolution is, is described really best in one phrase, is hyperconnectivity. Okay. So if you are a company even doing a small amount of business over the internet, you are connected to that system which is global in nature. And so as a consequence, if you understand as a company that your intersection with that network then exposes you to a whole realm of threats, the very threats that both Bob and General Fletcher outlined, that's the first... I think that the relationship for me would be the most important thing. Sounds like that drives both of you guys, makes you such good partners that you're it, both kind it, of It really does, and in, in the, the, it's, it's incumbent on us to be as efficient, right. both time and cost, as we can. The, the Rocket Mortgage is a, is, a, is, a, is a good example because after you satisfy the parameters of that mortgage, right. everybody says that it's done based on the premise that circumstances are fixed. There's a loan amount. This is my house. I'm going to live here. I'm going to make mortgage payments. Right. A comparable transaction on the commercial side has multiple times more variables, and those variables, some are fixed, some are in flux. Right. And so the influx is the part where the the personal relationship allows us to be nimble, to modify, and as the business changes to change the relationship. The, the, only way, the only way you can modify your rocket mortgage is to pay it off and go get another one. Yeah. Uh, I, that, that may not be totally correct, but it's it's, it's fundamentally. It's, and, and it has its place, you know, in, in, in the home mortgage, it's it's a, a little right, different. I, just, I realize it's not commercial we, but, lending. But, rocket it, mortgage but, it, is, no, but it's, consumer it's an important yeah, distinction sure. because yeah. in the home mortgage, it's one of the most important investments someone makes. But it's one of the most important investments they make for their family with their family. Most people don't go into it thinking, oh, I hope my banking relationship is is solid on this in the same way they do in a business relationship. Because if you're forming a business or you're starting something in that, you're going out beyond. Everybody's gonna live somewhere. That, that one's kind of a known entity, but not everybody starts their own business. Not everybody 
runs or expands. And most people that do don't start a business to operate X. They want to start it. They want it to succeed. They want to grow it. They may want to sell it. They may want to evolve it to something else. They may want to buy another one. In all of these things in the business context, the growth and the change is part of the initial thought going into it. And that's where having someone who is going to be a partner in that enterprise and work with you in all of that is so much more important because you know it's going to change. You've, you've anticipated that Tell from me the outset. When you joined the firm, the firm was filing more trademarks than any other law firm in the United States yes. and had a sort of jumbled structure for the process of filing trademarks. I think it filed 1,400 trademarks in the U.S. or registered 1,400, filed 3,500 last year. Uh, how did you detangle that web? And did, did you have to learn about trademarks? Yes. I, I, sometimes I joke when, uh, you know, I came into the law firm initially, I knew like, what's the difference between a trademark and a copyright? I had no idea. Um, so it was like part of the process of learning. I went into that. But now you know. I know a lot more than I, uh, yeah, I know a lot. <laughs> you know, sometimes I hear people talking like, oh, that's not a, that's not a copyright. That's a trademark. You know, so it's kind of. Um, you know, now my newsfeed is filled with like trademark stuff, which is kind of scary. You know, it used to be aviation stuff. Now it's like trademark or, you know, business law, employment law. So, um, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, but I think you have to get involved to be able right. to solve the problems. And I think managers or anybody at any level, if you don't know how to do it yourself and understand what's going on, you can't solve the problem. I hear provisional patent. Is there such a thing? Yeah, so uh, provisional. I mean, can, do I own a provisional patent? Can I? I see. I see what you're saying. So, I mean, technically, it's not a uh, a patent. It's never going to grant. Um, but a provisional patent is important for those inventors who don't want to spend a whole lot of money on it, but want to test the product. So, if somebody comes to me and they say, you know, I don't really know if this is going to be a good product. I don't know if uh, it's going to sell well. I really don't want to invest a whole lot into it. Uh, that's what I'll recommend. It's a provisional patent. It gets their filing date with the patent office and it gives them 12 months to try and sell it in the market and see how well it does. And as long as they, uh, they file a non-provisional utility, which is the actual patent application, within the 12 months, what happens is the, the non-provisional utility will backdate to the provisional application. So it relates back to that. So you're yes. essentially, your utility application, even though you file it six months after you file your provisional, the date of that utility is the date that you filed your provisional. Yeah, that's exactly right. And you know, the provisional is a good way of preventing yourself from, from missing that 12 month bar, yeah. right? So you file a provisional, then you start selling it and you'll have a filing date that's before whenever what you start. What is it that, that you, what's the principal driving piece of advice that you give? Uh, I know you represent some athletes right now that are in the NBA and things like that. So what, what do you, what do you tell them when you first meet with them? Hey, here are, the, here are the gotchas and here's what we need to do for you. What's the most important? Well, I mean, we start off with for a while. We didn't want to you know, make that our focus is to do athletes because just I've been on the other side where, where guys would come into the locker room that someone sent them in there and immediately they're trying to get all the athletes. Right. If that guy's crooked, the player ends up getting a bunch of deals from his friends and then he scatters and the player's left with a bunch of broken hearts. So. First thing we do is we just try to say, okay, what, what are you trying to do, you know, similar to you? What are you trying to do with your life? Where are you looking at in the future? This is what you have. And, and ultimately, get a snapshot of where they're at now. Okay. And give them a snapshot of where they could be in the future, given what they're doing now. If you're spending 100000 a year, 
it may look good when you got, you know, you got 10 million in the bank, but over time, you know, if you're not doing anything else or you keep giving out money or you're doing whatever, it's going to, it's going to, at the end of 10 years, 15 years. And people still immigrate to the United States. I mean, it sounds like they can't. We don't want any immigrants because <laughs> we're putting a wall around the whole country. Sure, right? sure. Or a fence. Not clear what we're doing. Yes, you can. Yeah. You can immigrate to the United States. The important thing, one of the first things I tell every client, whether it's business, family, or whoever, one of the first things I tell them is that U.S. immigration law is designed to keep people out. Uh, the reason I, I say that the first line in the Immigration Natu and Nationality Act is uh, the U.S. assumes, the U.S. government assumes that you are trying to immigrate to the United States. The practical effect of that, that line is that we're going to do everything to try to keep you out. I say this uh, in part, though, to, to jolt uh, clients to a sense of reality that you can immigrate to the United States, but it's not going to be easy. You okay. have to have your ducks in a row. You gotcha. have to have your paperwork in a row. You have to have, um, you have to, uh, if you get an attorney you can trust, you have to trust them and provide all the information that, that, that you can possibly provide to allow them to strategize in the best possible way. I was talking to a real estate person the other day about the issue of safety at open houses. Have you ever heard, so, so I didn't even realize this was an issue either, it's but safety issue. of the real estate agents themselves, when you have an open house, it's like, hey, anybody who sees this sign on the road, please come into this private place and right. we'll close the doors. Yeah, I mean, thinking about it now as an ex-prosecutor, I'm like, wow, that is a potential invitation to some bad stuff. Um, have you guys it, seen that or is that an issue that it, you deal it, with? It is, it is an issue. You know, we cover you know, our agent safety extensively in our policy manual, but in also our training. Um, you know, one of the standard things is, you know, you tell the agents, you know, when you're showing the property, you know, you keep everyone going ahead of you into the rooms. Right. You don't walk into a room where they can just slam the door and you have no way out. So th th there's a, a lot of things yeah. that you have to just, you know, be thinking about because at the end of the day, you're right with, you know, nowadays a lot of, you know, consumers, buyers, sellers, or right. you know, buyers, you're not meeting them until you're at the property or they walk into your open house. Especially in open terms house. of what happened with iTunes. So it's, so what I understand is as of September, iTunes is gone. gone. So what, what happened to all of the iTunes purchases everybody's made, all the songs we've bought? I believe they'll still be locally on your machine, but now they're replacing iTunes with four apps, is my understanding. Okay. Uh, a, a podcast app, mm -hmm. um, a music streaming app, uh, I forget what the other ones are, but they're essentially trying to morph themselves into becoming Spotify. Okay. Which again is devaluing music because at least in the case of iTunes, you're paying something for something tangible and down. Right. Yeah. Now you're paying, you're, you're, Apple's adopting Spotify's model and saying, pay us a subscription per month and you can stream all the music that's ever been made by mankind. Right, and all, so the, that's so all the films, all of the movies. So you're not going to buy movies on the iTunes store anymore. I, that's correct. That, that's the other one. That's going to be a special TV, uh, Apple TV and Apple. Yeah, phone. Apple TV's already popped up. It's already a thing on, on, on the uh, Apple store. So, so I believe what's happened to music mm -hmm. is going to happen to film. It's just happening more slow. What's the next big thing for you guys? Well, we're we're really focused on small business. Uh, that's that's a large percentage of our of our volume. Um, 
you know, we also do a lot of, you know, help with estate plans for people, wills and trusts. Uh, you mentioned intellectual property, something that, that you're very involved with. But, you know, really, a lot of people are starting their own businesses and, and it speaks to the economy and just the, the, the state of employment in general. So what we're laser focused on is how we can help entrepreneurs, you know, people looking to start their own businesses, not only you know, get set up, do the proper formation, you know, make sure everything is all taken care of through the Secretary of State, which, which we help them uh, a great deal with and have over the years. But the, the new focus is how can we help you run your business? You know, it, there's, there's a lot that goes on after the formation. The first three, three months of, of starting any business are critical. You know, getting established, getting everything set up the right way. Are you hiring employees? Uh, do you need tax consultations? Do you need you insurance? You had something to do with killing Osama bin Laden, which is pretty cool. I think, actually, uh, I heard at the partner retreat, it was one of the big wins in the last few years. One of your big wins was you killed Osama bin Laden. I thought that was kind of interesting. So uh, tell me about that. How did, how, did you, how did you help get that guy? Uh, well, yeah, obviously I didn't kill Osama bin Laden. They worked with Osama. the military, uh, Osama bin Laden. They worked with the military, uh, you know, a SEAL team to go in there and actually conduct the operation. But uh, with respect to the, the operation, there were a number of legal issues that we wanted to make sure were resolved and worked through first. Uh, we wanted to be able to demonstrate, or I should say that the uh, CI General Counsel was uh, Stephen Preston at the time, wanted to be able to demonstrate that we had thought all these issues through before the operation and we were not sort of reconstructing and, and justifying um, actions. The greatest question I've ever received from anybody I've ever talked to oh, yeah? was a kid asked me, what's the newest thing in employment law? And I thought for a second and I, I pulled out my phone and I said, this is it. And they said, why? So because everything that goes on right now is, is memorialized. Yeah. Um, you know, whether you've done something good or bad. And, you know, one of these kids started, well, that's illegal. I said, no, it's not. You're putting this in the public domain. And, you know, if it comes down to I've got two employees I'm or two candidates, I'm trying to figure out who I and want to hire. And they're both the same. Right. Apples, they're both, they both have almost identical experience, educational background. They're great. And then I start Googling them. And on one of them, all I see is pictures of them throwing up in trash cans. And the other one I see working with big brothers and big sisters and the rescue puppies. Who am I going to hire? Yeah, so we'd say, sounds interesting. You know, and we'd invite you in. Thanks. Me. Yes. That's my, that's my yes. um, slack back to you. Yeah. We'd, uh, we'd invite you in and we we'd really want to drill down on what your business will be. And you have to identify what, you know, how you're going to differentiate yourself in the market, what your market will be, what your audience will be, you know, what your costs are to get this off the ground. What, See, you know, are you saying I need to make a business plan before I start a business? Yeah. This sounds you know, suspiciously like work. It sounds like the 20th okay, century to uh, write a business plan, but you know, everything's on PowerPoint now, but yes, you need a plan of what your business will be. Okay. And, you know, and you need to identify all the steps it'll take to get to be that business. Front end. Get your trademarks right. and be the enforcer, not the enforcer. Right. If you're starting a new brewery, do your due diligence and get your trademarks exactly. first. Because I think some of that process bakes in reviewing and making sure you're not using anybody else's mark and you're not going to get that letter and spend all that money to change your brand. We, we had a, so. uh, a local restaurant that for a brief time, they wanted us to, to do a private label for their restaurant. And I won't say which restaurant, um, great, great place, great guys, but um, they had a concept and they wanted to call it something loco for Loudoun County. Uh -huh. And it's like, you know, for loco is a, is a beverage, right? Like, right. like, no, you can't use uh -huh. loco. And, and I think that basically killed it for me. They were really intent on calling this product like loco something. And 
I was like, well, we, you know, we're going to have to own it. We're going to have to trademark it. And, and, and you're gonna that's never going to, that's letter. never going to yeah. happen. Right. It's, I mean, we were going to put out a product called Grey Ghost at one time. Right. And that's right. too close to Grey Goose. Right. Grey Ghost is the nickname for John Mosby. And yeah, but, but I, it's too close. It's it's too close. to make sure your stuff is correct and right. And, um, I mean, is there, is there any, anything you can do? Yeah, there's several things you can do. Um, I think the biggest one that most companies mess up on or, or fail to do is um, have a implemented document destruction policy. Um, you're not allowed to destroy evidence once a case has been initiated, but if you have a routine policy that every 18 months you purge your email archives just as a matter of policy to save server space and so forth, then you don't have such a backlog. When you get into court and they ask for every email concerning such and such a topic, you only have what you have. And as long as you sort of have a policy in writing that's implemented on a routine basis, um, that will really... So yeah, we've got this uh, search report for American Bully Brewing to see what other registrations and other uses of similar names there are. Um, so that's where we start is by looking through that report. And we'll see a lot of stuff on here. There's. Um, so what are you looking for, David, when you look at the search report? So we're looking for a, a couple of things, but the primary one is whether the same name or a similar name is already taken. If somebody's already using the same name or something really similar, that's going to prevent you from getting any protection on your, um, on your beer and on your brewery name. That's all for today's episode of Black Letter. Thanks again for listening. Join us next time when we talk about more Black Letter issues in creative ways. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Google Play so you never miss an episode. And to catch us on video, check out our website at blackletterstudios.com. <laughs>